if the robots ever do decide to rise up, I'm in a lot of trouble because I'm hooked to every wire in this church. And so if that happens and I start to get attacked by my own devices, please video it because uh, that will be my retirement plan. I am so pleased. Folks, I'm going to tell you, in the, uh, I, don't, I don't mention that, that C word COVID very often. It's a bad word. I don't mention it very often. But I'm going to tell you, after all that we've been through over the last couple of years with that, I am glad to get to Easter. I am really, really glad to get to Easter. And you know, when, when the Lord says His mercies are new every morning, I somehow think that God was just smiling when that was penned, thinking of that resurrection Sunday when Christ would rise, because truly His mercies were new that morning. I am happy that you're here with me this morning as we walk through the Word, and I'm going to move pretty rapidly through this. Um, but I want, to, uh, I want to take some time. You've already heard the resurrection story this morning. You've heard it, and you've heard the story many times. Even if you're not in church on a regular basis, you have heard the story of Christ rising from the dead. And so I'm not going to spend all my time this morning focusing on that. I want to focus on something a little bit different, a little bit of a different aspect, which likely you have heard as well. We're going to focus on the story of Thomas. This morning's message is entitled, Before I Die. Before I Die. And I want to read our passage this morning, beginning with verse 24 of chapter 20 of John, all the way through 31. I'm going to read that, and then we're going to dive in here. John writes, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So uh, the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord, but he said to them, Unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and the place, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. And eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And then John concludes the chapter by saying this, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I ask that you bless your word and bless the time that we are spending in it, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for your kindness to me, your goodness to this church. Help us believe. Help us to believe that he is the Christ, that he is the Son of God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What dreams may come? What dreams may come? 
Let me ask you this morning as we pour into this message, what are your dreams and what are your hopes? And some of us are like, Chris, that's too heavy of a conversation for this morning. All right. I get it. All right. But in all seriousness, I just want you to, I want you to think for a moment, what are your dreams and what are your hopes? Okay. In the tiny town of Bloomfield, Kentucky, how many of y'all know where Bloomfield, Kentucky is? Awesome. We got our dog from Bloomfield, Kentucky. We got Sammy from Bloomfield. I'm pretty partial to Bloomfield. There's one stoplight, and it's not always working. It's a small town with a population of less than 1,000. And in that town sits a small antique store called Nettie Jarvis Primitives. It's a historic building. You see it on your screen right there. It's been restored and it's at an intersection across the street from the gas station. And when compared to other historic buildings, it's not that special. It's just an old brick building that when you step on the front porch, you feel like you're jumping right back into the 1920s, okay? Now, on the walls, though, at each end of the store, and you'll see it here, there are these two, we'll call them chalkboards. They're not really chalkboards, but they've been painted with that chalk paint, if you will. And the two chalkboards read, Before I Die. Now, that seems kind of ominous, and it seems a little odd that that would be right there on a historic building in Bloomfield, Kentucky. But on these chalkboards, visitors from around the world have come to write what they want to do before they die. What is that one thing that they want to do? There are lines, and it says, before I die, before I die, before I die. And there's a line where people have come up with chalk, and they write on that chalkboard, before I die, I want to something else. Sort of the pinnacle of their bucket list, if you will. Let me ask you, what would you write on that wall? If you went to Bloomfield, you can get there today. It's not that far from us. Drive over to Bloomfield, go to this antique store, and look at that board, what would you write on that board? What do you want to do with your life? What's that one thing you want to make sure that you accomplish? Do you want to climb a mountain? Do you want to travel the world? Do you want to make a million dollars? With inflation, that's more like 50, but that's another story. All right. I wonder what Jesus would have written. If Jesus would have happened to go to Bloomfield, Kentucky, and would have gone to this little antique store, can you imagine Jesus standing on that chalkboard with his chalk in hand and writing, Before I die? What would Jesus write? We'll come back to that. Unless I see, I will never believe. On Friday... Jesus was beaten, whipped, and tortured. He was nailed to a cross. He was mocked and he was crucified. He was pierced in his side by a spear. And finally, Jesus did die. So many of us, if we went to Bloomfield and we went to that chalkboard and we wrote what we wanted to do, we're not expecting death to come in the immediate future. Most of us think that it's going to be a while. But Jesus knew the exact moment. Before I die. And that's exactly what happened. Jesus died. 
the Savior, Son of God, Son of Man, the Lamb of God, poured out His blood for us. He was buried in a tomb. And the question is, would this be the end? Was the despair of the disciples well-founded? Jesus dies, he gets put in a tomb, and the disciples disperse. They, become, they go into despondency. They're concerned, concerned about their future. Have we given all of ourselves to this man only to be disappointed? We thought he was someone different. But of course, we're here this morning. And if you're here this morning, it is very likely that you know the story. John, the beloved disciple, tells us that when Mary Magdalene, Peter, and John, the beloved disciple, entered the tomb, the tomb was empty, and Jesus had risen from the grave. He was even kind enough to fold up his linens. Folks, every morning when I wake up, I feel like I've risen from the dead, but I do not line up my lemon, my linens or my lemons to my wife's chagrin, but Jesus did. Now fast forward, fast forward where Jesus presents himself, wounded hands and all, to, the several, to, to several of the disciples, and John says this, it says, we were glad, they were glad when they saw the Lord. But not everyone was convinced, were they? Thomas had issues with that. It says, now Thomas, one of the 12 called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, he said, we have seen the Lord, Thomas. Thomas, hey, Tommy boy, we have seen the Lord. And Tommy boy is like, what? No, unless I can put my finger in the nail-scarred hand, unless I can slide my hand, my fist, in his side where I saw that spear go, I will not believe. I cannot believe. I will never believe. Verse 26, eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then Jesus addresses Thomas's disbelief. So go ahead and, hey, Tom, put your finger here. You wanted to see? Here I am. Put your finger here. Here's my side. See this eight-inch gash right here in the ribs? This is where the water and the blood poured out. Slide your hand in this hole and believe. And Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Now, was Thomas a Christian? I believe he was. I believe Thomas was a Christian. I believe that whereas many Christians like to picture themselves as Mary and Peter and John, full of faith and excitement, that the majority of Christians are actually Thomas. Why is that? It's because we want proof. We want evidence. 
I'm not going to believe that somebody rose from the dead unless you can give me proof. And folks, let me just be real honest. If you heard today that somebody who had died three days later was all of a sudden walking around, what is the first thing you were going to say? I want to see it on social media because I believe everything on social media, right? No, you want the evidence. You want the proof. Now, here's the thing. Today, in 2022, I'd say you're right to ask for proof because that person walking around is not Jesus. Our culture likes to throw around the term faith, but rarely do we use faith in the biblical sense. Often, when we use the term faith, what we really mean is confidence. Confidence in ourselves, confidence in the people around us, and confidence in the world. That's what we really mean, and rarely do we mean confidence in God. We want proof. We want evidence. We want a scientific explanation. Thomas wanted to place his finger in the nail-scarred hand. He wanted to touch Jesus' side. And only then would, G would Thomas believe. And then Thomas did believe. We understand Thomas. We understand his unbelief. But it is unbelief still. We, as the people of God, have been called to faith. We have not been called to proof. We have been called to faith. And I will submit this to you. No flake of the cross, no splinter of the ark, no cap from the staff of Moses, no sandal that was on the foot of Jesus is enough evidence to convince somebody that Jesus is true and holy if you have not been blessed with the gift of faith. And here's how I know this. Because Judas dined with the Son of God, and yet he still turned him in. John Piper says this of Thomas. Like he did for the other ten, Jesus forgave Thomas of his faith failure and graciously restored him. But because of Thomas's unbelief, Jesus made him a gracious example for us of the wrong kind of seeing to demand. If we find our seeing of Jesus is impaired, Thomas teaches us not to declare, unless I see, I will never believe, but rather, I believe, help my unbelief. That's where we are as Christians. We do not ask for more evidence because there will never be enough evidence. When someone in the world tells you, show me evidence of God, that's the world talking. What the Christian says is, I believe, help my unbelief. Like our feelings, we, can never, we cannot always trust our eyes. Jesus says in John 20, 29, Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. We hear the world say that we should always demand proof, right? We should believe the science. And I find that ironic, right? Especially in 20... Now, hang with me here for a minute, right? Y'all are on social media all over the place, right? You're on the news on social media, all right? Now, as a, as a pastor and a scientist, I find it ironic 
that the world is calling for scientific proof. I find it ironic because science can't decide when life begins or the difference between a man or a woman. The world's demanding for, for, for science to tell us something. Oh, what's a man or a woman? I'm not a biologist. What? My nine-year-old's not a biologist either and he can tell you. The world believes what it wants to believe so that it supports its simple desires. And let's just be really candid about this. They not, it's not that they don't believe. It's not just that they don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus. It's that they don't want to believe. Because if Jesus is alive, then they are accountable. They are accountable to the Word. They are accountable to the Son of God. We don't like to be accountable. We believe in the wind that we can only feel but cannot see. We believe in the at, that the atoms are made of electrons and protons. We believe in stars that are billions of light years away. But we can't believe that a man would rise from the grave. But what the world doesn't understand is that the same power that raised Christ from the grave causes the wind to blow, the electrons to rotate, and the stars to shine. It is no less miraculous. The only reason you are breathing this morning is because the Son of God has allowed it. And if the Son of God is not raised, then where do we stand now? See, here's the thing. For our salvation, we must have the resurrection. We must. As Christians, we believe Jesus. We believe in the sacrifice of Christ, and we believe in that resurrection. So let's look at the ultimate sign. John says in John 20, 30 through 31, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. And so if you've read the Gospel of John, you will realize that the entire Gospel is filled with these signs. And throughout, the disciple is saying that Jesus did this so that they would believe. Jesus was not doing party tricks. Jesus was not just putting his name in lights. Jesus was turning water to wine, healing the lame, causing the blind to see, so that people would believe that he is who he said he was. Now what's curious about this is that John says this, but these, talking about these signs, are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. Now what I take from that is that the resurrection was the ultimate sign of who Jesus was. You don't believe that I, turn the, that I can make the blind see? Okay. You don't believe I can make the lame walk? Okay. You don't believe that I can cast out demons? Okay. I get it. That water to wine that you all got so excited about? Yeah. Jim Beam can do that too? Is that what you're saying? Okay. Here's the deal. I'm going to rise from the dead. Let somebody do that. But that's our Jesus. And it's the ultimate sign. Unlike those other signs and wonders, Jesus' resurrection did not occur simply to lead people to believe. I want you to listen to this very carefully. This is really important because people misunderstand what faith is. 
Faith is not something that you like work on and all of a sudden like, oh, I've got enough faith now. It's not something that you get a shovel and you start digging it up from the ground. It's not something you find, okay? It's not something that falls from the sky. I want you to listen to me here. Unlike those other signs and wonders, Jesus' resurrection did not occur simply to lead people to believe. The resurrection made it possible for us to believe. If I could say it this way, faith would not exist apart from the resurrection. See, your faith, if you are a believer this morning... It is not because you have earned your faith or you have grown your faith. It is not because you walked an aisle when you were a kid. It is not because you said a magic prayer. It is not because you did enough good deeds. If you use, if you say that you are, that when somebody asks you, how are you saved? And you say, I, if you start that sentence with the, the letter I, the word I, you've got it wrong. It has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with Jesus. The reason you have faith this morning, if you have it, is because it was given to you. You didn't do anything to earn it. Folks, I'm going to tell you right now. This is, this is, a, this is a controversial statement I'm going to make. But I believe it's true or I wouldn't say it. Hell. That, that's not the controversial word. Um, hell is going to be littered with people who recited the sinner's prayer over and over and over. Hell is going to be littered with people who have been baptized not once, not twice, not three times. Hell is going to be filled with individuals who said, I'm going to go to Israel and get baptized in the Jordan because that's special water. Right, Christy? Amen. It's not the water. It's not the prayer. It's not the stroll down the aisle. It is Christ and Christ alone. And everything hinges on that resurrection. Now, many scholars will say that the disciples were lying to build a following, to build their cult. Many will say that Jesus either didn't die or that once he died, his body was relocated or that he got married and moved to France. I don't know, that was in some book. Now, I know that's not true because my Jesus would never go to France. I don't know where he'd go, he ain't going to France. Many scholars just say that this is a bunch of fantasy. But here's the problem. People don't die for a lie. All these disciples were tortured and killed for their faith. If they were lying about the resurrection of Christ, they're not dying for that. Now, that's not to say that people don't die because of a lie. You think of David Koresh, you think of Jim Jones. Those folks were lied to, and they died. But they honestly believed it. These disciples went to their graves believing that Jesus had risen from the dead, not because someone told them, but because they saw him. You don't die for a lie. It's true. If the resurrection is false, if it's a lie, 
then it's the greatest scandal, the greatest conspiracy, the greatest cover-up ever to be committed. Richard Nixon would be jealous. But worse, it means that we're still lost. It means that every one of us in here who have given our lives to Jesus, it means that we're still lost. It means that there is no hope. And there is nothing after. But it's not a lie. Jesus is alive. Paul says this, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. If Jesus is not alive right now, then we are a pathetic group of people. That's a harsh way of saying it, but it's true. We put all of our energy, all of our hopes, all of our dreams in Jesus, the Son of God, raised from the dead. And if that's not true, then we are a pathetic people. But it is true. It is true. And so our hope is well-founded. Our faith is a gift and well-founded. We believe in the resurrection of Jesus. And we believe in our future resurrection too. And the resurrection of Jesus makes all things possible. Now, I'm going to close with this. I want to go back to the beginning. Remember that little antique store? Remember that statement on the wall that says, Before I die? What dream or desire would you write on that wall? Think about it now. What dream or desire would you write on that wall? You know what? I've thought a little bit about this. Like, what would I do? I want to climb Mount Everest. Like, I mean, I really do. I know that's ri ridiculous. But I, 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 would, I at least want to go to the foothill of Mount Everest, right? I just want to go to the base camp, right? And just see Mount Everest. I want to do that, right? I want to do other stuff. What would you do? What would, your, would you want to climb Mount Everest? Would you want to fly a fighter jet? Would you want to become a millionaire? Is that what you want to write on that wall? Before I die, I want to do, wow, this is my biggest dream. Many have written such things on that wall, but not the majority. Let me tell you what they've written on the wall. What are the dreams that are most common? It says this, before I die, I want to have children. Before I die, I want to be happy. Before I die, I want to marry my best friend. Before I die, I want to find true love. And I love this one. Before I die, I want to live. That's what they're writing on the wall. Death puts things in perspective, does it not? When forced to think about what really matters, the riches of the world are found to be wanting. But without the resurrection, without Jesus, our deepest hopes and dreams, even if they come true, are only momentary. They're only momentary without Christ when without the resurrection. The millions of dollars, flying the fighter jet, even our children, even marrying our best friend. It is momentary without Christ. And without the resurrection. See, I wonder what Jesus would have written on the wall. Can you imagine that? 
him standing there with chalk in hand before I die. Well, here's the thing. I think, I think I know exactly what he would write. And here it is. I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus' aim was to do the Father's will. Now, folks, can I just tell you this? I cannot think of a better thing to write on that wall when it says, before I die, just to simply put, to do the Father's will. To do the Father's will. And where, whatever, wherever that leads me, either millions of dollars or destitute, if it leads me to a multitude of children or an empty nest, if it leads me to marry my best friend or if it means that I remain single for the rest of my life, let me do the Father's will and let the chips fall where they may. Because I will tell you this, if you search for joy anywhere else other than, than, than the Father, you will not find it. You will not find it. People have been looking for happiness and joy everywhere else except for the gospel of Jesus Christ and everything else has been found wanting. But Christ brings true joy. When I was a kid, I wanted to play professional baseball before I died. It didn't happen. When I was a teenager, I wanted to have a successful job and lots of money. The first one happened, lots of money, no. When I was a young adult, I wanted to have a smoking hot wife and great kids. Check. <laughs> Boo. All right. But now, with some age, some age, perspective and by God's grace, Christian maturity... I simply want to be in the will of God. And that's my prayer for you. In fact, I will tell you, my greatest fear in my life is that I will be found outside of God's will. And that is something that we should be afraid of. That we would be found outside of God's will. Only what we do for the glory of God truly lasts. You may have children and marry your best friend. You may climb Mount Everest and think you are happy. But the only true, pure, and perfect love is the love of Christ. And the only way to truly live is to live for Christ, the one whom of they said this. He is not here. He is risen. Now, we are here. Churches are filled. This is it, folks. This is it. This is, this is your finale, okay? I just want to tell you this. Churches are filled this morning, Easter morning, across the globe with individuals who think they are doing God's will because they think they are happy. But they're not even in the same zip code of God's will. And they are not even in the same ballpark of happiness because they don't know Christ. There are so many people piddling around with the riches of the world thinking that they are gaining eternity 
And the only thing they are gaining is condemnation. So let me plead with you this morning as I close. Let me plead with you this. Believe. Believe in Jesus. You do not need to touch his hands. You do not need to put your hand on his side where that scar is. You don't need to do that. Repent and believe and be saved. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you and we do give you all the glory this morning. Father, I pray that as we conclude this service, Lord, as we conclude this service, I pray that we would honor you by following you, by committing our lives to you. Father, I pray if there is anyone in here who is lost, who does not know your son, I pray, Lord, that you would make them believe. I pray that you would cause them to repent and believe in the name of Jesus, the risen and reigning Son of God. I pray that this morning would not just be sort of like the beginning and the end of their spiritual journey this year to be repeated at the next opportune time, but today would be the beginning of a committed life for Christ, that they would join the body of Christ, serving daily, worshiping regularly, that they would turn their lives over to Christ, even for those of us, Lord, who are believers, help us to be even more committed, even more dedicated to the truth of the gospel. Help us to love our neighbor. Help us to love our brothers and sisters. And help us to serve well. Help us to live well. And Father, most importantly, let us die well. We love you. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.